Ben, if I wanted to hear a podcast between you and Justin Koo talking about life, love, and other mysteries, where would I go to find this podcast? You would definitely go first to the internet. If you don't know how to use the internet, you'd open your web browser, Google Chrome, uh-huh. Mozilla Google Firefox, Chrome. something of that sort. Safari? And then you would go to Justin Koo's Instagram, which is at jkoo. And then there's a link... <laughs> No, I think that's probably the worst way to find the podcast. <laughs> I would imagine, like, you could do that on your phone, oh, right? Yeah, these people are never going to find the podcast, and that's cool because that means you probably won't get canceled because no one's going to listen. <laughs> it's crazy is that th- all three of us do podcasts and we can't figure out what to say. Well, hey guys, this has been very helpful. I'm excited <laughs> to, to, to listen to the Dusty Boys podcast. Count me in. Are we starting the podcast now? Or? Oh, we've been on the podcast, my brother. <laughs> Yo, welcome to the Death of Life podcast. My name is Richard Young, and I'm out in Portland, Oregon right now. This is the first podcast that I'm recording on location in beautiful uh, McMinnville, Oregon, if you ever hear this uh, a few years from now. You'll know, oh, he was in Oregon when he recorded this. And I am recording uh, this interview with the homie Addison Collingsworth. Addison, what's up, man? Doing good. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> uh, what, are we, what are we about to talk about here? Yeah, so my, uh, my story about coming from uh, deception to freedom and kind of the, the crazy journey that brought me here to be in this uh, little attic room with you here at this Airbnb we're sharing. In That's Minville. What are we doing out here, bro? Dude, we're spreading the gospel. We're uh, we're freeing people here at this little church um, connected to the school where we get to uh, host and just share about our testimonies and how we've been changed and how this thing has really uh, opened our eyes. So, what was last night, man? What 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 did we talk? So last night was the follow up for Adam one and two, and uh, um, Tyler and Morgan. Well, Tyler got to share his side of the story and. Jonathan was uh, kind enough to fill in Morgan's and just uh, really, really hit about how different life is now and how how quickly that change change comes when the Holy Spirit hits you. So, man, that's uh, if you guys, uh, man, we've gotten enough episodes into this podcast that Morgan and Tyler's episodes seem like a far. That was like October, <laughs> yeah, and now <clears throat> we're in the end of april so that's crazy so yeah this is i'm excited to do this podcast with uh with my guy addison but uh like general announcements lovereality.org bible studies uh anything else anything else we need to mention to anybody listening right now about what's any news we ought to give them no just hit up the site i mean it's it's there it's free it's you know ready for you it is free yeah, it's free. Some Can't pe- say it enough. Some people have said that it isn't free. It is free. And I'm not, I've just read that it wasn't free and yeah. I was just... It's kind of like a theme with us, I think, about freedom and being free. So yeah. I, don't, I don't think we're going to go against the current there. It's, yeah. It's free. It is free. <laughs> Thanks for pointing that out. All right. Yeah. With all that being said, I think we're just going to jump into this podcast. So uh, buckle up, strap in. Love y'all. Appreciate y'all. Yo, Richard, are you about to do the podcast?
soul Check the price, yeah, it's paid for Oh my God, it's the life I was made for We do it major We do it major On my soul, check the price, yeah, it's paid for Oh my God, it's the life I was made for We do it major We do it major Bro, okay, so I um I don't remember the first time I knew about you, but we're just gonna go. I'm gonna go in raw here. The first <laughs> thing I had ever heard about you is I saw I think you or your brother. What what year did you graduate high school? 2012. Yeah, 2012. So I was recruiting at Union, and it's just like someone was like. That guy is rich. <laughs> and I was like, oh, word, he's rich? They're like, yeah, but like different. And I'm just like, what, what do you mean? Because um, like Lincoln, Nebraska, I, you know, people are kind of low key. They mm-hmm. don't want to. And so yeah. it's kind of like you always ask yourself these questions. Well, how much money do they have? How much money is this? You know, you yeah. know curious minds want to know. And I'm not sure if I ever talked about you or talked to you for sure, but that's all I knew about you was that you're you were a rich guy, uh, and so I don't know if that's the start of your story in your mind. I always yeah. start these interviews. I'm like, let's start it where I knew you from. <laughs> but yeah, that's all I knew about you. Why don't you take us back to like where you believe your story when it comes to understanding who you were. Uh, and what defined you? Where where does that start in your opinion? Yeah, so I I think I would that that sentiment right there of being kind of the kid that's known for one or two things was simultaneously like the point I would wear as a badge of pride, but also kind of bounce between that and uh, um, kind of trying to hide it because I didn't want to be known as the. It was weird. It was a weird balance between being. egotistical about being the kid with money and being okay with it and yet at the same time trying to like hide it because i wanted people to like me for more than just that yeah so going back i would probably start it with kind of a little background about who i am so i uh born and raised lincoln nebraska been there my whole life still there um i grew up in a kind of split adventist non-adventist home or non-christian i should say my mom and her side of the family very um Adventist going way back, and um, uh, I would say more legalistic, more um, more of that view uh, on their side, and then my dad being used to be Adventist and not anymore, so there was kind of this split growing up in our household of like my mom trying to be good Adventist Christian mom, mm-hmm. getting us to go to church, trying to get us to uh, um, you know grow up knowing what the Sabbath was, knowing like. Uh, God loved us and everything. And then my dad, um, wanting obviously to relate to us in the only way he knew how, especially growing up, like, you know, watching Husker games with us that happened to be on Sabbath, which was a, you know, point of contention, but just wanting to get to know us the way he knew how, like he, um, you know, not a super emotional guy, but he's, uh, he loves us and we know it, but he just wants to spend time with us and relate to us, um, me and my two brothers, I should say, mm-hmm. uh, in the best way he knew how. So there was always that kind of pull between the two of like, do I follow kind of the letter of the law and do I, you know, not have 
I don't know, when we went to like a baseball game, do I not have like a hot dog that has pork in it? Because, you know, my mom wouldn't like that, but my dad is offering it to me. So I should probably just take it because my dad's cool and I just want to hang out with him. <laughs> like, you know, when we we're a little kid, he's just like, hey, I want to introduce you to Lord of the Rings. And I'm like, that sounds awesome. But my mom wasn't super jacked on that, you know? Yeah. So just sneaking down to the guest bedroom and pulling out the laptop and, you know, sitting with him all night just watching the trilogy. And obviously I was a little kid, so it scared the crud out of me, you know? <laughs> but I loved it because it was just spent time with him. So that was kind of the background of growing up, you know, a uh, kid where I went to, um, I spent basically all of my schooling within six blocks in of Lincoln, Nebraska. So I went to grade school mm-hmm. at a little uh, kind of training school for student teachers called George Stone, mm-hmm. and it's on Union College campus. Mm-hmm. And uh, amazing friend, lifelong friends made there and everything else, but that was like pretty much all of my grade school. Then went to College View Academy for all of high school. Spent four years there, and then I went to Union College, and then graduated there. So literally, all with it in my family home was five minutes from all three of those. So I was in the bubble, <laughs> completely and utterly. Um, so that was kind of my experience, and within that, um, as my family, especially growing up, and you know, still to this day, uh, kind of kept a low profile. So people, there was murmurs, people knew, but not a lot of people understood that. We were different, <laughs> right, right? Different, right. you know, different uh, uh, circumstance in our lives, and you know, well off uh, as as the rumors were true. Um, but like to kind of keep it under wraps and not make a big deal out of it. You know, Lincoln's for it feeling bigger. It's still a small enough town that like you don't want to uh, you don't want people seeing you a certain way, so you don't want to show off. When when was the first time you knew how different it was for you and your family? Yeah, so. Uh, a couple different things when I was little that kind of hit me. Um, one was I was in school. I think this was like fifth grade at Georgetown School. And there was this kid who I kind of used to see as a bit of my bully. Um, in hindsight, even at the time, I didn't understand. He just kind of rubbed me the wrong way, right? Um, and I remember he was doing something about like bragging about his dad's paycheck and certain like, spitting out numbers. And I just remember sitting there kind of being like, that sounds weird. Like, why is that a point of conversation he bothers bringing up? Like, specifically, like, naming numbers. It's like, that doesn't... Sounds kind of odd to me. Like, the amount he was mentioning. I was kind of like, hmm, I'll have to revisit that, because I don't I don't understand something. And then, like, another instance in that same year of, like, seeing a, just a check lying around for a certain amount of money, and I was just like, that's okay. Yeah, that I didn't, I didn't realize that was a... a a big deal at the time. I just remember seeing the uh, um, the amount of ink used on that check, and I was like, mm, "Okay." <laughs> and yeah, what did that do to you? Like, I mean, <sighs> how how did you feel about that? And I guess it was it was this, and it grew quickly in later in life. It, it grew into this weird balancing act of like being taught, and rightfully so, that it's not something that you feel ashamed of because like different families have different circumstances. But at the same time, quickly abusing that to the point where, like, I would, uh, I didn't struggle. Like, for example, my first car was bought for me. Like, I didn't, I didn't pay a dime for it, right? Right. And I quickly became the hot rodding, you know, rich kid that would like race people places and like kind of show off. And like, I guess it was all this balancing act of 
on the outside acting like I was the goody two shoe kid that like my parents would always tell me, Oh, you know, you and your brothers, people always come up to us and say how how nice of kids you are, like you're so well behaved and this, that and the other, right? And that would feed me as the older brother I like I wanted to fit the archetype of what my parents saw me as. Mm-hmm. As responsible and, you know, nice to others and like a good little Christian kid, right? Right. But on the inside though, I would live off that idea that I was like special and I'd kind of earned this. Like this was this was mine and I I just got to take it, you know, use it for what it was. I didn't really have to be at anyone else's uh um you know, mercy kind of thing. Mm. I could just do my own thing and not have to like owe anyone anything. Um but that was wrapped up in what one of my main deceptions as a as a younger kid um was and that was I remember very specifically when I was, I think I was nine at the time, nine nine years old, and uh, I'm I'm a giant geek, so I'm one of whether it's video games or like you know comic book movies or anything Star else Wars. like that. Star Wars, yeah, yeah. If you know me, it's like my house is decor is Star Wars entirely. But you know, we're gonna decorate this in Tatooine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, this oh, no, room that's... will be Mos Eisley, and then we'll. Oh, the bedroom will be the Dagobah system. Sorry. No, no, no. no. I, well, you say most likely, but like straight up, Tatooine is my son's nursery. Like, Yeah, huge mur- mural, all of it. But anyway, very proud of that part. <laughs> if, if you're listening to this and you don't understand that uh, that reference, good for you. Yeah, you have a life. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, but yeah, so so when I was a, a younger, um, uh, like nine or ten, I remember specifically being a nerd, I would uh, play these video games, and of course I wasn't patient, so I'd always be like, I gotta go find some cheat codes, I gotta find some website, I gotta, I gotta get through this game, because I just want to like complete it to say I did it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Adblock wasn't a thing I was aware of at nine, of course, mm-hmm. and you go to these sites, and it would always be super sketchy, because the ads would be very... Um, unfiltered there'd be tons of pop-ups everywhere right right and i think it was very early on at nine years old i was exposed to and this is i guess where i'd say like explicit warning or like something like that just to oh yeah we should have talked about that in probably the said intro. that before i don't think we said it in the intro. we didn't say it in the intro okay so we're gonna talk about some things on this podcast that are probably not for young ears like i say I haven't. I actually haven't gotten any flack on any of these or anybody saying anything crazy. Yeah. But just that's the warning. We're going to talk about stuff. Um, but continue then. Yeah, yeah. So um, at that age, uh, I I was exposed with in rapid succession one day of a lot of very hardcore pornography. Hmm. Um, and v- looking back, I was really I'm surprised even today that something like that was just in a casual pop up ad, but just like looping images with audio and everything like it was very much just from nothing and complete innocence of like barely not even being angry girls to like i've seen everything now like this is a lot and uh, i mean it immediately hit me and i was you know shut everything down run away like just like that's scary like i don't know how to handle that like what's what's going on here you know because mm. you'd heard like conversation with friends joking around with something maybe but it was always so um, kind of foreign and off. It's like, yeah, it's something we'll deal with one day, whatever. Um, and then it's just staring you here in the face. Um, so that situation happened. And then I think a week or two uh, went by and I kind of let that sit and I kept thinking about it. And I kept, even in that moment, I kept feeling myself like drawn to keep exploring that. Hmm. 
but like I literally didn't even know what it was called. Like I understood sex, right? But like I didn't know it was pornography. I don't even know that term yet. I didn't oh, even wow. understand that's, that. That's crazy. Yeah, I didn't even know. Like I remember uh a little while later um sneaking downstairs to my dad's computer and looking it up and to look this up, I was so innocent. I actually didn't know the term, so I looked up real human sex. Oh, <laughs> no joke, no joke. That was the that was the that's the search engine hit terms that had to sit in my dad's computer because obviously I'm not gonna you know hide that stuff because I don't know how. Um, and then just being inundated with these just over and over and over and over. And for a good while after that, I was just like that was the only computer in the house. So it would just be that. And, you know, bless my dad. He had to deal with that because I eventually um, ended up causing it to be get a massive computer virus in his computer that would just have that stuff living on his computer. Oh, no. Just permanently, right? And I'm sure, I'm sure that caused more problems than I even realized between my mom and dad. Oh, um, no. <laughs> yeah, because my mom found it one day and she's like, oh, what in the world is this? Uh-huh. Um, so sorry, dad, in, in retrospect for the flack you got, uh, but they sat me down and they were just like, Hey, you know, was this you? And of course, I don't know what you guys are talking about. Yeah. Stared out of my mind. I lied through my teeth. I'm like, no, that's not me, whatever. Uh, and they, you know, for whatever reason, they didn't call me on it. They're like, okay, you know, we believe you. Right. Mm. And then from that moment on, I mean, it, it set my relationship to sex women everything for the rest of my life up until you know freedom um the perspective of how i saw who i was who i was a slave to and just this was a thing that i was just always always gonna struggle with um and you felt pretty bad about it then i felt terrible all the time like i even um and to go a little bit more you know adult with it but like i even remember the first time uh uh like masturbation right right i remember the first time like i felt guilty for like a month because it was again i was so young i didn't even understand what it was like what happened like physically what happened man this is like i'm glad that you you said that because so many it's like this innocent we're we're so innocent kids and this thing just comes for us and we get wrapped up in believing these lies about ourselves while when it first started you didn't know what the flip was going on no i had no idea and i didn't even know like my relationship to sin and to like the commandments and everything i didn't even realize at first other than i i didn't like the way it made me felt and the guilt i didn't even realize that what i was participating in was like sinning really that mm. wasn't even like part of the conscious thought of it i just realized that like kind of probably how that that like an like an addict or a junkie like that first time it's like you hit that high and then it fades and then immediately you're like i need to hit that again and each time you go back it's less and less and less and there's more and more right and like that that cycle started immediately like because i you know it wasn't just on my phone it wasn't just wherever i was living i had to like sneak around to do it every time right i mean to the point where like you know a computer in a public space within the house wouldn't necessarily stop me and then it was a point where like well if i got caught maybe this would be a a release because if i got caught maybe they i could finally be corrected and guilted enough into like stopping 
Yeah, we've touched on that on this podcast. Um, the fact that Shane will never actually get you to stop. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I was talking to a buddy this last week, and he was explaining how he can understand if real gospel is being preached. Mm -hmm. And he says real gospel has nothing to do with shaming somebody to stop. Yeah. Or if he hears any, ki any kind of just even a shame light or something, <laughs> diet shame. Yeah. Like he's just like, that is not it. Because like I've said before, shame just brings resentfulness. Yeah. So many people are resentful towards God because they believe that God is shaming them when it's actually the enemy making them believe they are the thing that they did. Yeah. Um, but that lie that, oh, one day you'll get busted and there'll be enough guilt for you to stop. It's not going to happen. <laughs> no. And it, I mean, I literally did get busted at one point. It was, I don't know, maybe a couple years later. And like, uh, I don't know if it was a communal computer I was using that it was found on or something, but I think my mom, oh no, okay, I, I remember. Uh, it was basically, I did it and then I found out that I hadn't like covered my tracks well enough. Uh -huh. And it was in a way, uh, I think it was on a shared device that I knew my mom was about to see it. I knew she was going to see it. Huh. And I knew it was like, in my head, it's going to break her heart because she's going to be like, man, you know, this sweet my innocent kid is just in this stuff right right so i just come to her and i'm bawling i you know i approach her and like i'm just a mess and just, i can't even get a word out and then i'm just letting this stuff spill out about like all these things and like you know hey you know a few years ago when uh you caught on the computer that was actually me and i've been this has been me and i've been struggling with this forever and uh just her prayed about it and she was uh, uh super understanding but like that moment i I simultaneously was like, oh, good, it's finally out. But then I'm like, but it's still here. Hmm. There was no release. Hmm. There was no release of that shame and guilt. It just kind of was on pause for a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, it, it just, it wasn't building for a moment. But that didn't change. As I was like, I'm still me underneath, and I still have this this problem. And just because I've shared with someone... I was kind of uh, um, freed of uh, of the uh, idea that somehow sharing it was going to get rid of it like right away, and then then what you're left what are you left with right? Cause right. It, so after that, basically I go through. I'm in um, grade school because yeah, nine ten, um, and then I'm going through grade school, and I'm noticing that as my friends are starting like noticing girls more and everything else. I have a hard time at a certain point. I couldn't even like look girls at the time like for long in the eyes. Mm. I couldn't like make eye contact in certain circumstances because like I just found my mind going to really dirty, dark places, like just in casual conversation. Like it, it, it messed me up because I, I was just like, I can't. It was there was the whole old, old thing about like bouncing your eyes, right? That mm -hmm, whole idea. Mm -hmm. It wasn't bouncing my eyes. It was literally like stare at the wall. Like if you lock eyes with this person, they're gonna like know everything about you. Like I I could not. Um. So that that made it hard because you're already awkward. You're kind of going through that you know middle aged um uh period. So you're already a little awkward. And then if you can't look at them, <laughs> right? It yeah it complicates things. And then I'm. I'm struggling because I know 
because of this addiction in the background, I'm seeing them as like objects. I'm not seeing them as people. Right. And I hate myself for it, but I can't have friendships and I feel like I can't let myself have friendships with with girls at all because I don't want to position them in that way. Mm -hmm. But I'm also desperate to have what would be a normal relationship with another girl as a friend Mm -hmm. to somehow like kind of fix that. Right. So I'm just kind of, you know, sad boy. I'm just in my feels and I'm, I'm there. And, uh, that was kind of the end of grades or grade school. Um, and then into high school, I, uh, uh, now mind you, I should say the other side of this is I'm trying to not only have this persona of like the, the good kid that my parents expect me to be and that the older sibling kind of the responsibility or anything, even more so than probably they ever expected of me, but I was putting on myself cause I had to keep up appearances, but I was also starting to project a little bit of like confidence and not cockiness. I wouldn't say, but just like being charismatic and trying to be outgoing enough that like people like me. Hmm. Um, so I carry that into high school, but in the realm of like, I'm hanging out with guys, I'm nerdy, I'm awkward around girls, more so that they, they don't even understand why I am, but mm-hmm. I know why I am because I can't see them as anything other than this object. Um, so I'm struggling with that. Uh, and then throughout high school, I uh, uh, I continue on, and as things proceed, um, I eventually do get to the point where I have classmates and like, this deep dark secret i'm able to tamp down enough that like i can kind of sort of have interactions with them that are normal mm. i can uh i start hanging around friends at part like parties or just hanging out at my parents house luckily growing up my uh, my parents were super willing to and my mom was great about it have all of my friends over all the time mm-hmm. so like our ha- house was a hangout spot so everyone would come over there now mind you still mostly guys and we're just playing video games and call of duty and all that fun stuff mm-hmm. but like start to kind of have normal interactions and uh, as things start to shift, I start to be like, oh, okay, maybe maybe I could start trying to you know date someone or having interactions. So I start interacting with different people in my class, um, different girls that are uh, interested in me. And I quickly find out that this persona of kind of the egotistical rich kid I'm putting on... Mm-hmm leads me to end up being used by people that are like are willing to jump on the fact that I'm desperate to be liked because Mm. and uh um then I have like a couple dates and it ends up being like this girl um that I was interested in I went on a, a few different dates with her we went out we got like breakfast one time we uh um caught a movie you know, I'm super nervous because I think this is a freshman, sophomore year. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm I'm going to work up the courage to finally, like, just kind of, you know, do the whole hand slide during the movie, like, over mm-hmm. t- over t- on top of hers. And then as I'm doing this, I remember the quick retreat. Like, just pulled the hand. Like, it was like a mousetrap went off. It was just like, <laughs> right? Back to the side. And that crushed me because I, I was, like, two years in the making of building up to even be able to do that. And it was something like, in that moment, I realized, oh, this was, we were just hanging out because, like, I was, I was the kid that was always willing to pay for everything. Hmm. And, like, I was the kid that was willing to, like, um, you know, go out to eat or to pay for the popcorn at the movie or the movie tickets or, like, have people hang out at my house or whatever else. And that's what this has been about. Like, yeah, I am 
the uh, the the part of me that I was hiding that um, kind of ogles them and treats them differently. That comes that comes out, and the only ones that are actually willing to like interact with me in any serious way, or at least is the lie I was operating under, mm-hmm. are the people that are willing to overlook that to get something monetarily out of me. Hmm. Um, and that was something I had struggled with is who of my friends growing up actually liked me for me mm-hmm. versus what I brought to the table for like things. Right. And that, I guess just reaffirmed the lie that like I needed to hide it. I needed to kind of, people got to peek behind the curtain if they knew me well enough and they kind of like passed my test of, uh, they were genuine but like otherwise I well, I say I, I didn't want to like expose like my family's position and you know how much money they had and whatever else. But then at the same time I would turn around and like the <laughs> I am all over the place, but I was remembering a uh there's a situation in high school where um it was a uh uh, uh school body election uh-huh. and one of my buddies came up to me and he was just like, Hey, uh I'm I'm thinking about running for treasurer of the class or for the school. Uh, would you run for president? And I'm like, well, the thing is, in two hours, or not even two hours, it was like an hour. It was like right after um, one of the class periods, and they were gonna have like a, a morning worship and assembly, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, I'm like, I have nothing prepared. I know there's people that have literally wanted this for like a month and have been doing a ton of stuff, but I got money, so I'm just gonna go around and promise everyone I'm gonna bring like lots of food for everybody and like Mexican pastries if I win. And then I'm just going to go up there and ended up winging a speech about like, I'm the kid that's driving the Corvette around and like, you guys might know me around, uh, might know me only as that. But like, if you vote for me, I'll bring stuff for you. So like, did you do that? Yeah, I did it. So that was that your speech? That was my speech verbatim. In fact, (laughs) my now wife will tell you, she thought I was kind of a douchebag. (laughs) Mercy. in that moment no but i remember that so vividly um because there was someone else that was running for uh uh running for the same position um and when they heard i was running it was like an hour before it happened i found out that it made them like cry because they wanted to go for it and they knew that like i guess if i was running like not to put words in their mouth or thoughts in their head but like if i was running that they probably wouldn't win hmm and like, yeah, that was. You feel that power? Yeah, I it was power trippy, right? Right. I was just like, yeah, I can do that. Like, I have the right to do that. Huh. I don't feel bad. I at the time I didn't feel a lick of guilt. I was just like, no, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it because I want it. So there, there's the double mindedness of like feeling like people aren't respecting me for me, and it's just stuff and things. Yet going on a power trip of just being like, yeah, I'm going to get up there and I'm just going to talk about how like I'm this kid that does this really showy thing, like drive around my dad's expensive sports car um, and not feel any guilt about it. And then just bounce between those two all day. <laughs> wow. So. So what did what did what did you really like at this time, we're talking like junior, senior in high school. Yeah. What was your truest belief about yourself? My belief at that time was I had an addiction that 
if I kept it under control, people wouldn't be able to see it. Um, but like I was, I was, I had, I had the kind of the weight of being like responsible and the, um, I guess the position of like, I, I basically had assumed of myself that my parents put more weight and responsibility on me being perceived as the good Christian kid Mm -hmm. and the oldest sibling than I think they ever did. And that was basically my identity of like, on the outside, I needed to be all put together and have a um, have a persona that reflected the boy they raised mm-hmm. and like the values they held and everything like that. But on the inside, I was basically living at their expense all the time and kind of going nuts, kind of prodigal son style, just kind of giving into whatever desire my heart was feeling at the time, like whatever kind of perverted um, thought process I wanted to go down, I would just like give in. Cause at that point I'd kind of stopped trying to fight it. Mm. I was just like, this is who I am. So like, I'm just going to project. I've got it all together and I I've made it and life is good on the outside and just let, let, you know, the old, the old grannies think I'm the, you know, the, the cute, put together like um uh nice kid mm-hmm. and then my friends can think i'm just the the guy that's always willing to like um shell out and you know i can i can fit in with the you know my friends that are in the nerds i can fit in with you know um my general class and just kind of be a uh um the kid that's a kid that's always like abiding and everyone can have a good time with but then in the inside yeah i'm just gonna nurture this thing and just hate myself all the while but you know that's life i guess and that's where I was at. Yeah, that doesn't sound great. No, it was not fun. <laughs> uh, yeah, and yeah, and it, it was it was kind of I guess living proof that just because you have the material stuff to uh, um, to give you all the answers in the natural, it didn't it didn't fix anything at all. Hmm. Um, so at this, so people probably would think. You had zero problems because you had the credit card. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. In fact, this is probably getting ahead, but uh, my <laughs> the first time I met my future brother-in-law, it was uh, after a um, uh, a behind the school. They were doing like kind of a, a intramural kind of flag football or just throwing around the football at that time. And I had a, a BMW at the time, an SUV. And I pulled up in this thing and I get out. I took three steps out of my car, and I remember hearing someone say, "Oh, here, here comes the rich kid." And I immediately look, and I'm like, "I'm done. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm out of here." Just like completely shut down, and just like no. <laughs> yeah. But like, I I thrived on that understanding that like of the affirmation of people people knowing who I was, but yet I didn't want to be labeled as that. It was weird. That I mean. Because people, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes with it. Yeah. Like they, they, and it's like they hand you the baggage and you got to pick it up and carry it and then it kind of becomes your own, right? Yeah. But no one wants to hear about the problems of a kid that's got everything. Right? right? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, woe is you. You've, you've, you haven't really had to fight for anything. If for I was life. in your position, you know, what, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I, it's like, just shut up and deal with it like everybody else does. Um, so that was that was uh most of high school although at the time 
uh, eventually towards the end of high school, I met my now wife, um, Cameron. And so we started dating because um, I just broken up uh, from a previous relationship. And uh, I was kind of at that position where like, I didn't know if I wanted to date anyone. I was kind of just, you know, I still got this thing in the background that's uh, looming large and um, I haven't had any better control over it. I thought maybe having previous relationship would help, but really it just made it worse. Um, so I'm weighing that. And I remember one time my, uh, I was at home and mom's like, Hey, so I heard this girl, um, Cameron, um, I heard through the grapevine that she's kind of interested in you. And I'm like, really? Um, I'd previously, uh, been in a, uh, um, uh, theater play. We did, I think it, hello Dolly. Um, and I had been an understudy for someone that hadn't been able to uh, uh, be there at a lot of the practices, and she was playing the opposite role, so we danced together. And I have no coordination at all, but she was super gracious with it. And so I immediately was like, hey, maybe there's something here. But I was in a relationship, so I was like, ah, you know, shelve that for later, right? <laughs> so I, I wasn't at that point, but I was just like, ah, maybe we'll revisit that, right? <laughs> and then after that ended, I heard that, and I um, heard my mom mention she was interested in me, and I'm like, oh, okay. Okay, here, mm-hmm. here's what we're gonna do, because on the uh, uh, um, at the time, and this was the end of junior year, I think, no, senior year of mm-hmm. high, uh, high school, I uh, played piano. That's one thing my parents or my mom specifically had made us do. It's like you're gonna play a sport, you're gonna play an instrument. If you're playing an instrument, you're gonna have to stick with it for a minimum amount of time, right? Mm-hmm. So I had been at this point playing piano for almost ten years, mm-hmm. pretty much hating every moment of it because right. <laughs> I I was had a deathly fear of playing in front of crowds mm-hmm. and uh um i i didn't enjoy it however in my rebellious uh nature of not wanting to play anything classical i learned a bunch of contemporary stuff so like elton john billy joel mm-hmm. everything like that and one thing i knew about cameron or at least i had heard is her family was really into disney they love disney so i'm like oh hey this is perfect i've got a elton john songbook and in there is can you feel the love tonight mm-hmm. So I'm just going to learn this sucker and then every every uh period um where there's a, a downtime between like we had a chapel period and then a couple different classes I'm just going to hang out in the chapel where there's a stand up piano and I'm just going to keep rotating through these songs and like just keep playing them and eventually she's going to walk in right <laughs> it's going to work you laugh, but it worked 100%. It took a while. It took a while, mind you. Like, like, why does he keep playing Elton John? Just, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I was just the Elton John and Billy Joel guy in the uh, in the chapel. Kind of, you know, a, a weird, to this day, a weird music taste. But anyway. Oh, man, I, I love those guys. So yeah. you... Uh, so I, I would play this song. Yeah. I would keep rotating through it. And then eventually she walks in, um, just kind of subtly slides in and sitting in one of the chairs there. And then we kind of start singing a little bit with one of the songs. And uh, um, and then eventually, uh, I kind of introduce myself. We talk a little bit. And then I think within that week, I asked her out on what I consider our first date. I don't think she does, but I do. Probably because I took her to get coffee, and she hates coffee. At least she used to. <laughs> took her to Starbucks. I, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't picking up exactly what she was <laughs> feeling there. I took her out in the Corvette. Mm-hmm. Because of course I had to show off, right? As I had been the entire time with lots of other girls, um, and uh, we had a great time. And then we were—I mean, we were dating within I think the month. There was like a junior senior DC trip, and like we ended up dating during that. And we dated all throughout 
uh, the rest of high school until she graduated into college. And then a couple years into college, we were married. And then we've been together. You got married since. while you were in college. Yeah. So that was uh, 20. So let's, yeah. so let's talk about this. Mm-hmm. You're, you're getting, what, what kind of grades, what kind of like, were you, yeah. like, what, what was your, what were you going to do with your life? Good question. Um, <laughs> so during high school, I was a hundred percent one of those kids where I could, I could do well enough that like I never until senior year because we had one of those teachers that was insistent on preparing you for college, so like actually ramps up the difficulty level, mm-hmm. which looking back, grateful for. But um, at the time, I hated it. But until at least the end of senior year, I could basically just last minute everything and mm-hmm. do fine. Sure. You know, minus the subjects I didn't understand, like math, and then I'd have good teachers that were super nice who would come in on Sundays to help us, tutor us, because mm-hmm. me and my entire class were terrible at it, so um, we would uh, fail at that. But other than that, we just literally, in the hallways, before class started, after school, not even after school, but before class started, <laughs> in between mm-hmm. classes, just last minute scribble everything out and squeak by, like we were fine, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that changed in college though. Um, so I took almost six years to finish college because in college, the stuff I had been doing in high school of basically kind of living at the expense of like what my parents were freely giving me while all while also feeling guilty about it. Um, kind of, kind of the bill came to me. Mm. So I, had a amazing and yet terrible freshman year where I uh, got to dorm with my best friend, Michael, and it was fantastic, but we both had the habit of sleeping in until like 10 or 11, basically every morning. Hmm. And like, no, we didn't arrange our classes to accommodate that. (laughs) So we would miss everything constantly. Uh, I think he, he got help thankfully um, and straightened it out after freshman year because it put both of us in a giant hole and uh, I ended up after first semester moving back home to stay there instead of dorming. Um, but I it started a cycle of all throughout college of, mind you, I wasn't paying for it. Of course, my parents were footing the bill. Mm-hmm. So I'm not feeling this thing of it, of not taking any classes seriously enough to the point where like I just wouldn't show up. I wouldn't do work. I would like fall into depression and just like cycle just over and over of like you know, butting up to my professors and basically uh, like I was a people pleaser. So I always wanted to please like, um, especially adults in my life um, and be super honest with them. It's like, Hey, I'm really struggling with this. Like, sorry, I haven't shown up. Like this is what's going on. Mm -hmm. And all of them had more than enough grace to like understand, but grace in that point from their, the way they were offering, it wasn't what I needed. What I needed was a a wake up, Hmm. but I wasn't getting it. I was just, you know, kind of throwing myself on their mercy, getting getting uh, getting a second shot, and then just not even trying with that. Hmm. So, as I was going through college, mind you, um, Cameron and I are dating, and then um, uh, a little into college, a few years into college, we're married. Um, I'm still struggling just as much much with my lust, and um, just as much with uh abusing what i've been given as a free gift so yeah not taking school seriously not taking um and you get depressed about it i get depressed i would i would i would not show up hate myself for it 
use that as a reason to feel bad to not show up to more classes. And then maybe I'd catch like an afternoon one. And that was for a good year and a half, I think, cycle. Um, what, like, what was your plan? I didn't have one. I don't, I don't think I had one. Cause I was just, I was, I was studying. I changed, I changed my, it was always a business degree, but I changed my focus a whole ton from marketing and small business and all this stuff. Let me ask you this question. Just yeah. Thought of this. You're, did you think that getting married, like when you got married, was that like, okay, I've arrived at this thing that everyone kind of thinks about all throughout high school or maybe even longer in life. And now I'm married. Like what did, did that put any pressure on you or like completion? Like, Oh, I have this thing. Like how did that? Cause I don't know a lot of people that get married in the middle of college. Yeah. I, I don't know if it did anything to like thinking like I've arrived or like, you know, I've accomplished something as much as just like, despite all of the internal like struggles and like addiction and everything else I had going on, I was just like, I know she's a good thing for me. Mm -hmm. And like, I, I would constantly, and you know, obviously still today, but back then I would say like, you're, you're such a good person. Like you're so kind, you're so caring. You're so like always doing for others. Like you, you think of others first. Right. And I, I would just see that and I'd be like, and she was in her spiritual life. She was trying like, she was actually like putting effort in where I, I kind of checked out a long time before that. Um, so I was just like, maybe some of that will rub off on me. Maybe that'll mean that like, I'll pick up on some of that and it'll mean that like, I'll kind of find this missing piece to the, uh, um, to the faith that I didn't have on my own. Cause, cause I guess my, my belief in God, Jesus, you know, Adventism, all of it. I guess my belief in it had always been intellectual and I never had doubted it to like the fact that it was always a fact. Hmm. It was just was, you know, but other than a brief little stint in high school where it's kind of mountaintop experience, like I had never really had it affect my life. Like I kind of, um, I wouldn't talk to it in until very recently. I couldn't use I wasn't comfortable using God and Jesus in a sentence with someone other than just literally talking about church. Like if I was mentioning a sermon or something like it would, I couldn't do it. I couldn't mm. say it out loud. Um, Cause it was almost like I was using his name without understanding the weight of it. So like I wasn't allowed to. Wow. Yeah. So did your wife like, or your girlfriend and then becoming your wife, how much of this stuff did she know? Did you open up to her about depression or yeah. you know, the grades or lust or anything like that? Yeah, well, she she knew in a couple aspects, I guess. I, I would I would tell her about missing classes. I remember, you know, even specific instances where, like, you know, I'd sleep in super late and I'd take a super late shower if I even showered, and then like call her up crying, like, "Hey, you know, I've missed a bunch of classes again today. Like, I don't know what I'm doing." And she'd she'd try to understand best she could, but she wasn't in that space, and like didn't kind of know how to handle it. And then I quickly learned, oh, I'm just dumping my problem on her, expecting her to fix it. Hmm. So I'm going to quit burdening her with it and just stop saying anything. So I kind of started just internalizing it and not saying anything. Um, and there really wasn't a whole lot of people I was sharing it with. Um, so I just kind of was like, well, I got to deal with this. I'm just going to 
keep moving forward. And maybe, you know, basically I thought that... And she didn't know anything about like lust or anything like that. No, no, no. She was, uh, it wasn't her, it wasn't something she was that familiar with. So she was just like, no, like she's not going to relate. So I'm not going to say anything after that. Um, Did you feel lonely in some ways in that, in that aspect? Like you're in your own mind and heart and looking at it and yeah yeah because i i almost felt like i was gonna like i was gonna mess up something for her so like that part i've just gotta like tuck away and like i've got to solve it before i can open that door Hmm. like before that can be shared it's got to be it's got to be taken care of first and like that kind of carrot on the stick of it will be taken care of someday but it's definitely not gonna be now man i relate man it's just like I think this is what the advice I gave to most guys was because there was this guy at Union and he was pretty open about it mm-hmm. and he told his girlfriend about it and she broke up with him. Yep. And I was always in the mindset of like, yo, this is your thing to deal with. So deal with that. Like, this is not your girlfriend or your wife's responsibility. Um, and I still think that way, but I think, I mean, there wasn't... I don't know. There wasn't a lot of life in it because it was just about managing this thing Mm -hmm. and what we're going to do to manage it and every man's battle, bouncing your eyes, all the strategies that I had. Um, But yeah, I would have been like, nah, bro, don't like, that's... Keep it to yourself, Sean. Like, this is a problem (laughs) that all of us men have and we're going to have it forever. So let's just figure out how to deal with it and not bring our wives into it or... yeah. You're, you're grabbing an accountability partner and figure it out. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. 100%. And I'm not saying having an accountability partner is bad. And I've had uh, like awesome success with mm-hmm. people and, and pouring into people, but it's different. Yeah. And and, and maybe, I mean, we'll be discussing why it would be different. And yeah. you probably heard that on a previous podcast. But yeah. So you're, uh, you're married now mm-hmm. and low key hating yourself for not showing up to class, depressed. Yeah still dealing with this thing in the background. Did you think that marriage was going to fix it? Or what did you think about that? No, because I, I kind of knew that, like, even when we were dating, like, sharing a little bit, um, that it wasn't it wasn't going to be the kind of the magic, uh, um, the magic solution that was going to fix all these problems. I kind of knew. I, I thought maybe at least on the temptation side, being married, like, you know, as far as sex is concerned, like, would be it would help ease the temptation of it because mm-hmm. there'd be that outlet. And I want to have to always like, you know, every release for that previously had always been like, well, it's got to have some guilt to it because it's not within a marriage and everything else. Like it, I know like that experience was not separated from guilt ever, hmm. ever in my life. Like sex or, you know, orgasm or whatever, like, had not been separated from the guilt and shame that came with it for a single experience in my entire life. So, man, that's so heavy. Yeah. Like we're associating this thing and I know like like even I'm not like even how you just said it. It's like this thing that's been given to us by God and it's lovely and the enemy is just like I'm going to take it. Yeah. I'm going to flip it. And I'm going to make this good thing that he's given you, I'm going to make it bad. Mm-hmm. So even every experience that you have with it, because I'm going to wrap it around in a bunch of lies, 
I don't want to make it horrible for you. Yeah. And he like he does it with every good thing. Yeah. He does it with family. He does it with the Sabbath. He does it with just any name a good gift. The enemy's gonna try to just flip it and make you feel some type of way about it. And so yeah, so that was uh Yeah. That I mean that was had always been the experience. So I knew that like I was still going to struggle with this thing because I, I didn't expect it to go away, but I expected at least some of that guilt and shame in those interactions within marriage wasn't going to be there. But what I quickly found out was maybe in that moment, if I could like distract myself enough or like not, not get in my own thoughts, it wouldn't be. But then at the, just around the corner afterward, it would, it would come back because then now it wasn't that like, Oh, this interaction you participated in is, should bring you guilt it was you're not deserving of this oh you haven't earned this like you 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 tarnished this thing a long time ago what what gives you the right to to have that happiness now because you you know like so that would that would be the the constant back and forth of like not propped up by like any truth from god but from my own self from me telling myself like no no you're good you're like this is okay like you're at a point where you can this is fine now. And then coming back and being like, no, she, she doesn't deserve this. Like she has no idea Hmm. what's going on in the background. So no, she, she doesn't need this. So then you're, you're going on through Mm -hmm. and, uh, what, getting towards the end of college, what now, now you're deciding, Oh, I'm going to do this thing. Yeah. I, I have a feeling. And you tell me if I'm wrong. You always believe that you were intelligent enough. Yeah, yeah, and th- I guess that was uh, more of the guilt was that I knew I had the natural skill to do what I was aiming for, at least degree wise, like you know, career wise. I knew I could, because mm. um, I think if there would have been the whole thing of like I didn't have, I had the inability to do it. I could have gave myself a little bit of a pass, like uh, the natural ability isn't there. Like it's okay. I just haven't found my calling. I was just like, no, I know what I'm good at. I just can't do it. Like I have a incapability of committing myself enough to do this thing, because like I just don't think enough of myself, or I don't like I don't want to put in the effort, I don't want to put in the time, like I'll just be in that cycle. So it's getting towards the end of college. Um, sorry, uh, it's getting towards the end of college, and um, I keep getting this nagging feeling that as this is ending one that that graduation is like kind of uh the top of this mountain that like i am just gonna i just have this feeling it's like man if if i get to walk and like get my diploma i'm just gonna burst out crying man Mm. because like i this just this thing is insurmountable because it's just every every extra semester every extra class i have to roll over is just another thing confirming that it's like you don't have it this did, isn't going to be did you. people like your classmates that saw oh he's not graduating with us or mm-hmm. like did did they ever ask you about it or like was there just extreme shame that was added to that or like, yeah well there was always some lie or convenient out about like oh i'm shifting my major or i'm you know refocusing on this or oh well i got this now and i'm just gonna tack on this other thing so there was, there was always some out um uh but yeah, I mean, and the other part, being married a couple years into college, like I already didn't, I wasn't before marriage when we were engaged and dating, I wasn't exactly going to all the social events anyway, because I was one of the kids that grew up 
literally within six blocks of the campus for my whole life. So I was kind of like, yeah, you're, you're going to the Omaha zoo. I've seen that a million times. Oh, you're going to this event. Like I didn't, I wasn't super close to my class cause I wasn't on campus. Yeah. So like I was kind of married one and we had each other, but then also like kind of homebodies anyway. So like as far as classmates knowing once, once the people I went to high school with in the same class that I went through the whole thing graduated, mm-hmm. there wasn't a whole lot of people around to be like, Hey, what's going on anyways? Mm-hmm. So I was isolated, you know? Um, so that was that experience. But as, as college kind of started coming to an end, I kind of found myself like the writing was on the wall. It's like, I got to figure something out. Cause once this is done, like, you know, I'm not going to have a professor that's going to take pity on me. You know, when I, when I need to get a job, like there was, there was always the elephant in the room in the background of like, well, maybe my parents can help me out there too. And like, I'll just kind of coast by and I'll be okay. Um, and just bail me out again. But I was just like, you know, like how long am I going to live in this? You know what I mean? Like how, how long am I going to feel like I'm, I have no worth like I haven't attributed to anything or done anything. Um, so as college came to an end, I think it was my like second to last semester. Um, I ended up taking a class on like small business management, like entrepreneurship. And I, when I was a little kid, I always had this idea of like admiring my dad for starting his own company and being like, man, I want to be my own boss. And the cool thing with that is my dad was always very for, uh uh, forward with it like hey if you're your own business owner like there's a lot of benefits but a lot of stress and a lot of uh, um, uh, responsibility that comes with that and you have to you have to know what you're getting into because especially as you grow more people are joined it stops just becoming your problem and it starts being like you can't just kind of can't mess around and with other people's livelihoods you know what I mean Right. Like people are dependent on you. So you've got to you got to take it seriously. Like and you got to work hard. You got to work really hard. And I had always been under this lie that I didn't want to I didn't want to be the person that spends all their time working and drifts apart from their family and their spouse and then just kind of like makes that my entire life. Like mm. work I I had always been afraid of that. Like I was going to become this guy that like just my my life was my job and nothing else would be would matter until it all just kind of crumble. So I had that fear. Then I also had that drive of like I need to prove I'm worth something. I need to like have something I can point to and be like I did that. Like that's that's my accomplishment. So I took this class and I'm just like I'm writing up a an outline for a, a a business like a store idea I had, and I just kind of had this idea. It's like, no, that's I'm gonna that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna start a company. Like I'm gonna do it, hmm. and that's gonna I'm gonna pour all my time and all my energy and frustration into this thing, and then it's gonna be it's gonna be the one good that really like I can point to. It's gonna be you know my identity basically. Um, so out of college, um, college ends. I have a, a, a marketing job at my dad's company for a little while. Um, and then eventually I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. Like enough. I spent about a year, the year after college there. And I'm like enough, enough messing around, enough preparing. Like I just need to pull the trigger. Um, and that was 2018, January of 2018. Um, I officially started a company and we do tech stuff in home. So basically setting up 
you know, speakers and TVs and, you know, security mm-hmm. systems, smart tech. Mm-hmm. Um, and I launched that and first couple of projects were like family members and then kind of friends and some acquaintances. And eventually it kind of took off, but it still was the business itself became a slave to the fact that it was directly tied to my ego and pride of how people perceived me. Hmm. So if the business and you get some grace, especially, you know, first couple of years owning a business, like people aren't expecting you to be, you know, the next Microsoft, like you're not going to explode immediately. Like people don't expect that. However, they expect you to be putting in the work and the effort that comes with having to start something like that and bootstrap a business. So I had to have the perception that I was putting 110% into it mm-hmm. and kind of in my head that I was putting in the effort I didn't put in college. Hmm. So like I had to make up for it. I had to like, yeah, I had to get back that time I lost. So I started doing that and, and really making a go of it. But at the same time, my addiction is getting to the point where like I, and my addiction and then my depression too, um, that's just kind of low key been in the background. Right. That like I'll I'll do proactive stuff that I I only was doing the things for my business that reflected on me personally. So like if a customer would call, for example, I would all I would go bend over backward to make that they make sure that they were as happy as possible. Mm-hmm. But like if the inverse happened, where it was just like I've got to really really try to go out and get new customers and like get people to come in, I would find myself just like defeated i would just like kind of give up because hmm. honestly to that point i hadn't i hadn't struggled for anything i hadn't had to work hard like a day in my life right, right? and this grand idea of me being this person that would work my butt off at all times despite the circumstances kind of fell apart so this thing is just kind of floating along for the first um first couple years and then eventually slowly um, at the end of 2019, it actually starts getting some traction. I start doing some uh, construction for new, uh, doing new houses and a couple big um, existing houses and some big jobs, making some good money. Mm-hmm. And right at the beginning of 2020, I had four straight months of the best on on paper, the best money the company had ever made. Mm-hmm. And I was I was feeling good. I was like, this is it. It's I've made it. We're doing great. At that time, we, uh, um, Cameron and I had just had our, our first son. So, like, I was like, I'm, I'm a dad. I'm getting used to, or um, didn't just, yeah, 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 <laughs> two years old. Mm-hmm. So, uh, just had just had him. And, like, we... Um, what did you attribute this success to, do you think? I I just thought it was a, it had been enough time. I think I thought, so at the time, too, I couldn't, I was a people pleaser. I, yeah. Uh, where I couldn't say no to anyone because it was all about how they viewed me. So I started dumping money into advertising, money I frankly didn't have. Hmm. So I was thinking, oh, people are seeing the ads. People are like hearing about jobs I'm doing. So it's just it's just momentum. It's just building on itself, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm just like, yeah, it's just I I've I've made it. I'm not out of debt completely yet. I you know I'm not in, in the green because I'm spending a lot on advertising and a bunch of stuff I don't frankly need. But you gotta spend money to make money. So it it's working, right? So that was the beginning of 2020 and the first uh, uh, couple months and then the previous of 2019, the couple months, I was I was cloud on top of cloud nine. Um, then I had a, a, a thought, well, well, now I got to ramp it up because now things are getting serious. I need to like 
I've been, uh, luckily, uh, my parents and my dad were gracious enough to let me use a small little office that, or small, it was bigger than any starter office usually ever is, uh, but an uh, office in my dad's building for his company. I was using that for a while. I was working for home for a while, and I was like, well, I'm adding advertising because I have the extra money to do it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I want my office space. That's been my dream for my business. I just want my own space, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want to I want my name on that door and I want my name on that sign when you drive in, right? Mm-hmm. So I go through the process of getting a office building and or a office space and I, I signed the lease for this guy week one of March of 2020. What What could happen? What could happen? It's just right? it's just gonna be it's money just, making money for you. Yeah, it's just a five year lease on a space that's crazy expensive. Even if you're in a if you were in a business that's been doing great for like fifteen years, this space would have been ridiculous. Let alone a single employee, two year old business with like just the start of a promise of maybe some consistent revenue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I was I was. Whew, man. Um, so I get this space and I, we start on it. And then, of course, and then all the advertising ramps up and those are all year long contracts. So I'm locked into those suckers for 12 months. And then COVID, right? Mercy. And COVID was very obviously crazy hard, especially on like small business owners, especially if you're in hospitality. Um, construction had a little boom actually in the middle of the summer. Um, but it, it would have been hard if I had been healthy and had cash reserves anyways, but mm. I didn't, and it was way harder because of it. So uh, I think at the time I heard, like, during that period, it was like a third of businesses around the area were going under, or some small businesses of that size. You know, most businesses don't make it past five years. So I was just like, well, we'll, we'll see how this goes, you know? Mm-hmm. So that was um, a, one of the many bad decisions along that track. But at that time, I had also determined in the peak of like December, January beforehand that this was, I was doing so well, I needed to finally treat myself and get an employee. I need somebody. Like, we've got enough. Yeah, I know. It keeps, it keeps building, man. The, the Jenga tower just keeps stacking. So I'm like, I need somebody, man. I, I, need, I need someone to help out with this. So I was looking. I started I love in like this story, December. Man. I just love it because it's just like... You see the train coming off, and I'm well, just... Well, <laughs> it's, it's, it's because of, like, how good God is. Yeah. Like, all this stuff is happening in your life, and I don't want to spoil the story, because, because I know the end of the story, but it's just, <laughs> like, it all seemingly was just... It's about to start sucking. But it's, like, yeah, setting you up. Leap. You're like, it's the setup right now. Oh, yeah. Sorry, no, I'll no, let no, you. I'll let good. you set it up. It's I'm, just I'm hilarious just, to me. I'm just verbally building the tower of chairs I'm standing on top of right now. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Yeah. I, employee. What? Who, who could you find? Yeah. Who could I find? Um. So mind you. Uh. Especially later on, when I did a little bit more reading after the fact, I realized that like you, the recommended it re- like income range of like having a single employee with like benefits and payroll and everything is like 150 to 250 thousand dollars a year. I was nowhere near that, even for myself, because I wasn't paying myself, because I had mommy and daddy's money to back me up, so I didn't need to pay myself a paycheck. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you, and I always think of the office quote when Oscar is talking to Scott, if you've <laughs> seen The Office, where he's like, are you ready to not cut yourself a paycheck for like five years? That's true. Uh-huh. 
but I was in no position to hire anyone, let alone that. Uh, but I was determined. So even when things started turning south in March, I was like, I've already been on this track. I'm going to hire someone heck or high water. Like, yeah. this is happening. So I start looking around, and at that time, my brother-in-law mentioned um, these uh, Bible studies that actually Tyler was leading at uh, um, Kaldrew Church. And in them, he heard the uh, a story, he just he said story, he didn't really give any details, of this guy who apparently was starting a smart home company in Lincoln, Nebraska, and I should meet up with him just to talk to him, because he was, you know, ex-Aventist pastor and all this stuff. Uh, so I'm like, oh, cool, yeah, I'll hit him up. So I uh, I had it, and I still have it to this day, in my calendar, I have a appointment for uh, March that says, like, me... Eddie question mark competitor <laughs> at a scooters coffee shop in Lincoln. And so I met Did up. you did you contact him? I did. I did. I, I reached out and it was just like, hey, you know, I heard about you. Let's let's just grab coffee. I'd love to talk. It was just that. And I was even like Googling, like, hey, you know, when you meet meet up with a competitor in a space, like, what do you like, what do you say, what you don't say? Like, what's the game here? Like, I don't want to give up too much. Because honestly, I'm like one of the only companies in this industry in the area. I have a very... That's the other thing, too, is like the amount of work and advantage I could have had if I actually applied myself more and wasn't like so much in my feelings the entire time. Uh, being the only competitor in a space mm -hmm. in a town that has the people that actually are interested in your product mm -hmm. versus what I was actually doing mm -hmm. is why people would come to me and I basically wouldn't have to do a lot of work to get new business. Mm -hmm. um, so he's the new guy in this two person, this tiny pond where I've been floating on my own and then he drops in and I'm like, uh, okay, well, we're going to feel this out now. Mm -hmm. So I meet up with this dude, super pleasant. I, I immediately am just like, yeah, I like him. He's hey, cool. brother? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, what's up, brother Addison? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if he would have called me brother, then I'd be like, oh, geez. Okay, bolt. Um, <laughs> oh, what's up, Mr. Collins? Mr. I don't, Collins. That's oh, my Eddie impersonation. No, he calls, you, he calls you Mr. your first name. Mr. Addison. Mr. Addison. There you go. <laughs> anyway, uh, so we meet up, and I'm like, this dude's cool. Yeah, you know, he kind of talked to you. Used to be Adventist pastor. He really didn't explain too much else besides that. And just, yeah, he explained he used to live in like a, um, in Georgia. He did three years there doing a, another smart home system for nice houses around there. And he did, you know, uh, electrical cabling and all this specific stuff. And yeah, I was just like, oh, this is cool. Um, like, it was nice catching up with you. I didn't really feel threatened. I was like, cool. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, we'll, we'll be in touch, you know. And then I leave. And that was March. And then... I uh, uh, I kind of think on it a while, and I'm still looking for an employee. And a couple months go by, and I'm just I keep thinking on this. And at this time, I should I should clarify that like I'm not actively praying anymore. I'm not really like like I go to church mainly because at the time my wife wanted me to go to church, but not really into it. You know, I'm just mm -hmm. I'm just there. Um, and it was one of those things like, oh, we'll do it for our son. We want him to have a good example, so sure, sure. he'll see us in the pews, and it'll it'll. And he'll, then he'll love Jesus. He'll love Jesus, you know. And so I was along for the I was along for the ride. Yeah. Um. So that was where I was at. So, I, but I just had this really like strong feeling, um, as far as I could tell at the time. Just was like, man, whoever I get needs to basically have the exact resume of this dude. Mm -hmm. Like I was just like, he's perfect. Like I I I like talking to him. He's easy to get along with. He has 
prerequisites of like a position in a field where no one else exists. So I'm pretty much going to have to create the the job description myself, like from scratch, because no one else, you know, I have a heck of a time classifying my business on, you know, Google my business, let alone (laughs) coming up with job description for something that almost isn't a thing. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm basically going to like position my or create my job description based on this dude. And uh, and I'm like, yeah, this this is it. It's like, I even find myself lamenting. It's like, man, it's too bad he ha- he started a company before I could hire him because like he would have been perfect. And like if we just talked earlier, but I'm like, whatever. It was a good conversation. Um, and then a little, a couple weeks later, I'm I'm finding myself like things are starting to downturn. Um, the housing market and uh, new construction and just home services like like landscaping and like cabinet re- or cabinetry and remodeling is booming because all these people have money but are stuck at home now because of COVID and yet mm. I'm not seeing any of it. Mm-hmm. I should be booming too but I'm I'm dragging. So I'm depressed about that and it's almost like the hire is going to be like a, 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 a endorphin hit. I'm going to be like, yeah, I feel like I'm accomplishing someone by spending more money for hiring them, right? Yeah. So I'm like, I got to do this. Like it, the clock is almost running out, which it should have been the exact opposite, you know, stopping. But I'm like, the clock's running out. I got to do this. Uh, and out of desperation, I just kind of find myself like not even praying. It's almost like thinking to God. I'm just like, hey, like I need someone here because I'm going to get more business because of course I'm going to get more business, you know, new normal, right? Of my previous high from the beginning of the year. I need somebody. And then I got that very week, I got a call from him. Um, and it just, he just straight up said, Hey, I've, I've got this impression. I don't know if he used impression or he's like, I've been told, um, I don't know how guarded he was with the language at that time, but he was just like, Hey, I've got this feeling like I'm supposed to come work for you. So I'm going to drop everything. I'm going to close up shop for my company. You guys can buy us for a dollar or literally zero cents. It doesn't matter. And I'm going to close up shop and I want to come work for you. Let's just, let's talk, you know, details. And he just told you, he just straight up, he left a voicemail on my phone saying that he didn't even, he didn't even wait till I picked up. Mr. Addison. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm like, dang. And you know, I'm, I'm expressing this to Cameron and she's just like, yeah, yeah, that sounds awesome. Like hit him up, like call him back. And at this time, I'm I'm just new office space is finished up. I think it's the first week of June actually, and I'm I'm just kind of like sitting at this one single like chair in this empty office, and like on the phone, like calling him back up and trying to negotiate like how much I'm going to pay him, which is the first time I'd ever done that with anyone, of course. So I'm just like, yeah, how's X dollars an hour? Well, what about this one? Well, I gotta, you know, I'm want to get a house, whatever. But I had peace about it, like. It doesn't matter if I pay him too much because, like, one, I'm already in debt, and it doesn't matter because I can't afford it anyway. And <laughs> that's the truth. I wasn't, I wasn't letting myself think. But the other one was just like, nah, it's worth it. Like, I, I didn't know why, but I was just like, he's worth it. Like, just do it. Hmm. You know, whatever it takes. So I'm like, okay, cool. I feel pretty good about it. I feel confident. And then he starts. He comes in. Um, for this is the this is, yeah. He starts later, and so this is like July, the end of July. He starts, and then. Uh, he's there two weeks and in those two weeks the second day so the first day I just talked to him introduced myself we got to know each other second day we come in and I'm just like hey you know I don't have any specific work for you to do for clients because things have really started to take a started to take a downturn but I'm going to like kind of put you to work so uh, we got these outlets we got to put in we got you know of course I need to make 
all of the light switches and outlets in this office space fancy. Because it's, because it's job, fancy. Yeah, it's smart. smart. Yeah. Smart homes. You gotta have but, smart but, but also, I, I've like I've got to look the part, right? Right. The light switches is not what anyone, any customer is going to come in and judge me on. But like, if those suckers like, are oh, look at those light switches. Oh man, I will those, give you all my business. <laughs> those decorous switches really show you're high class, right? Yeah. Jeez. Oh, anyway, so I'm like, dude, yeah, can you put in these? And we got to run these wires. So he starts doing that. I sit down on my laptop, and I open up my computer, and uh, I uh, uh, I read this article. And as I'm reading this article. I stopped dead in my tracks and I'm like, whoa, 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 hold up. Who did I just hire? Right? Oh, you'd searched his name. I on the searched internet. his name and his name autofilled, and that's not a good sign. Uh, <laughs> at least I didn't think it was. Yeah. Right? So I'm like, hold up, hold up, hold up. Don't panic. I shut my laptop, like, you know, very practiced motion, mind you. Mm-hmm. I shut my laptop real quick and I'm like, okay, he didn't see anything. We're good. Um, then, then I uh, quickly, nonchalantly go about the rest of the day. I think it was like three in the afternoon or something like that, and pretend like you know nothing's amiss. Uh, internally screaming, <laughs> and then I get home and I'm talking to uh, Cameron and I'm just like, "Hey, uh, so this happened. I hired this dude. I literally got done giving him the keys to my office and the keys to the only work van I have in vehicle for the company." And uh, just instinctively, I just trusted him enough to like give a brand new employee this, you know, the keys to the kingdom, if you will, and without thinking of it. And then I find this stuff out and hear all this news. Um, and then she, being level-headed, and obviously spirit speaking through her, was just like, "Hey, give him a chance." Like you've heard from uh, her, her brother, my brother-in-law, Aaron. She's just like, "Yeah, you've heard that through them that he's got a good story." So just like sit down and listen and hear him out. And I'm like. Yeah, that that's very level-headed. Were you aware of love reality at all at this point? No, I had no idea. I never... Ne- well, I had one previous interaction with them, which went as far as someone not knowing it was related to it, um, went to a Bible study led by Tyler and Morgan, or Tyler at that time, I think, and came back with a, a sheet of like lies and truths about you and identity, and we just spent like... 20 minutes roasting it. That was so stupid. <laughs> that was back in March of that year. Um, actually, yeah, shortly before I met Eddie. So that was uh, the only interaction I had. And That's... I didn't even know it was directly tied to love reality. I just knew it was a CVC or called you church um, Bible study. Or what, not what Bible did study. You, why, why were you roasting it? Just something because it, it went against the traditional norms. Now, mind you, it's not like any of us had been like deep in our Bibles before that enough to like argue the theological points of it we were just like yeah that sounds whack because x y and z and you got to try more and there's more effort involved and everything else so some friends uh who are in a much better place now uh brought it to us um way back earlier that year but that was my only interaction with love reality at all beforehand um awesome yeah so anyway so we're um uh uh we're talking and i'm you know i pray about it again i come back and i'm like praying i'm just like you know, I, uh, uh, I'm just going to trust. I'm just going to trust. Like Cameron was saying, trust you. I'm going to trust you. Like, sure, let's do this. Um, what I had to lose, right? And you know, I'm not too worried about it. He's my only employee and he's soon going to find out I'm broke anyway and I'm going to have to fire him probably sooner than later. So who cares? <laughs> like, wow. being so, su- but like being defeatist and like, so this very- was really kind of a dark 
Oh yeah, you're man. you're in a dark place. I'm in a dark place, man, and I, I'm I'm hiding it really well. Like I'm I'm not because you're excited about the business. I'm excited, yeah, because it's it's the one shining point. Like I'm excited about the business. I'm excited that like it's giving me something to focus on, so I feel better about myself when I'm home with uh, Cameron and my son and me. So I feel like I'm worth more. So I'm I feel like I'm treating her better. I'm a new I'm a new dad, so I'm I'm excited and like that's the other bright point in my life is my son is like being a dad. So like those are those are highlights in all of this that like I can cl- like the, my lifelines. I'm clinging to like I'm a dad. I'm a better husband right now. Or at least I thought I was being, and like I'm being successful in my business. And like the main one being successful in my business, and that was fueling the other two. So, but still, you think the business is gonna fail pretty soon? Yeah, I'm I'm telling myself it's working, but like and reading the writing on the wall i'm like there's so many i'm seeing other businesses that are so much better positioned and like run by people i really really admire struggle to the point where they might not make it and i'm like if they're not gonna make it i'm not gonna do well right but like that's the kind of kind of the shadow in the corner of the room you don't want to look over there so you're just gonna keep plowing ahead and pretend it's not there and don't let yourself think that you know what i mean because that's Mm. that's the end like don't don't go down that rabbit hole you know, right? Because from my depression episodes in college, I realized like you go down that rabbit hole and it's hard to pull yourself out. Right. So don't even don't even play around the edge of that. Like just stay away from it. Mm-hmm. So that's where I was at. Um. So I I go to bed that night. I get up in the morning. I come in, and I just determined that like from my wife's advice. Um. I determined like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna like kind of accuse him. Like, hey, why didn't you tell me all this stuff before I hired you? I'm just gonna nonchalantly. Because, again, I'm a people pleaser. I like to make people happy. I want to be like, hey, uh, I've heard you got a cool cool story. Can you share? Like, t- let me know. What's up, man? Tell me your story. Yeah. But the only other thing I knew about him uh, as heard is he was a talker. So I literally blocked out the entire morning. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, we're getting in. It's like 8.30 or 9. I'm going to give us to like 11 or like, you know, 11.30 or something like that. And then we ended up talking to like 1. But, <laughs> but yeah. So he just lays out his this crazy story of who he used to be and how radically changed the the gospel what radical change the gospel brought into his life and what it did for his marriage and what it did for him as a father and like just the power of god for a changed transformed life and i'm just listening to him unpack all this and like i'm not at least i didn't think at the time i was showing it but i'm just like kind of in disbelief a little bit like is he over exaggerating is he being super like is is there like details here he's leaving out or something right and then just be like no he's super sincere like there's there's no there's no lie there like this is this is legit um and i was prepared for that i guess because i knew from other people hearing that he was sincere and uh little bits of his story not much so i hear this and i'm just like wow well i trust you now because I, I feel like you're super honest and almost you said a bunch of stuff that no one would say about themselves. no one would ever say about themselves. Like even I remember the first month after I hired him, like there was there was bits where he would make a joke. It's just like, yeah, you know, I used to be this guy. Man, I was such a, you know, I think in his language, he would say jerk. But reading between between the lines, it would be like a POS. Like yeah. I'm such a terrible uh, or not. I'm such a I used to be such a terrible, rotten person. And this is what I think. And it would make me uncomfortable because I'm like, how can you say that about yourself, man? Like, man, that's that's a lot. Like, that's tough. Or it was in the first two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But I was just like, yeah, obviously you're changed because you can be so open about this. So that really struck me, and I was immediately like, "Okay, dude, like you're you're the man for the job because obviously you're a, you know kind of born again Christian, and you're really uh I think I straight up uh and he gave me so much credit after the fact, deservedly so. I think I straight up called him a Jesus freak. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and mind you, in my head with my background, I never, I almost I meant it jokingly and almost like admiring him because I literally couldn't use God in a sentence with someone. Mm-hmm without being uncomfortable because I literally couldn't say the words because I, I just, it felt like perverted coming out of my mouth. Like, how could I use that, right? Other than in very, very specific situations where I'd be talking about like church or something or, right, you know, whatever. Right, right. I just couldn't talk about it. It was, it didn't, it didn't sit with me. And yet he was sharing everything and I'm like, you're like a Jesus freak, but like, I wish I was. Hmm. But there's also a lot of other connotation with that phrase, right. probably mostly negative. Um, but you know, he had the grace to not be weird about it. He was just like, "Cool." Um, so yeah, so that happened, and then over the next two weeks, because um, the other part of this is I hired him, and he told me he was going to have to take a month off, two weeks into employment. <laughs> and for some reason, again, Holy Spirit, at the time, I I thought I was just being naive because I was out of it because of all this other stuff going on. I said yes. Yeah. Um like sure man, cool. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was a people pleaser, so I guess that falls right in right in my MO. But I was just like, yeah, sure. Cool. Take off. Like whatever. Um so this two weeks happens, we're fixing up the office and getting stuff ready. And I start sharing with them kind of the last year, not as not as openly about like these are the addictions and struggles I've had and this is everything else and um whatever, but I start sharing with him about uh, another thing that happened in my life, which is I used to be very conservative politically, mm-hmm. and then college rolled around, I became very liberal politically. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of died off being even as liberal as I used to be, and I was kind of m- more liberal, but kind of in the middle ground, mm-hmm. mainly because there was a period a year before that where I realized my politics and my religion were in such ironclad, strong, separate boxes that they did not inform each other in what whatever aspect. Huh. I could s- have a political opinion that by its conclusion would be very uh very hurtful to groups of people or whatever else and i would not be able to square that with like jesus loves them hmm. at all it, it but i wouldn't try it right. i would just let those two completely opposite ideas sit in my head and not address them so that had bothered me to the point where like the holy spirit was working on me to be like hey you need to make a change and instead of like you know doing away with like my obsession with my identity part of my identity being politics i just swung the other way and decided that i was gonna somehow champion other people's problems more than they did so that i could like kind of feel good about myself Hmm. that was a whole sub thing but i was explaining this to him and talking about like this change that happened to me and like trying to be more understanding of people and like seeing things from their point of view and like, you know, realizing that God loves them and they don't, they don't, uh, uh, you know, um, we need to be compassionate towards them and everything else. Mm-hmm. I just remember he's not along. He's just sitting there and he's just like, yeah, that's, that's cool. Um, sounds like you need to die already. <laughs> just like straight for the jugular, right? Yeah. Just, you need to die already. And I'm like, Whoa pardon <laughs> like yeah. what and he's just like yeah it sounds like you have all of the ideas that god put in your in your head there 
but you just need to let him change you. Like, stop trying to do it on your own. Like, you're you're struggling. You're trying to make all these changes. And, like, I think I had mentioned a little bit about personal addiction and struggle and lust and all that stuff. And he was just like, yeah, you need to just die. Huh. Right? That was the day before he left for a month. <laughs> that was, like, right before, right? Yeah. It was, like, a couple conversations after that. But that was, like, it. Uh-huh. And we had actually, I had found just, he was so easy to talk to, like, those two weeks, I'd we just sit around to talk for an hour or two, just in the mornings, he would drop uh-huh. little bits of the gospel and everything. Anyway, so that was the last conversation. Then he jets off for a month, and just after dropping this bomb, mm-hmm. and I'm just, I, I even remember, I went home, I, I told uh, uh, my wife, and she was just like, how dare he talk to you like that? What does he know, <laughs> right? And right. I don't know why, and I should have, normally I would have been in that position, but it was just being worked on in my heart i'm like no he's he's right there's like all this change has happened but like the switch hasn't been flipped like what what's different there and like he drops me like hey check out this um this youtube playlist series for love reality and it was the uh the tour in uh uh pvc pvc yeah it was the pvc tour um and like i eventually start watching through these and it's talking about like you know, you're free from sin and it's talking about like, uh, you're always God's child and like how he sees you and like just living from the truth of who you are and your identity and not letting these lies of like, uh, that you're always this dirty, rotten sinner and you're always going to be predisposed to this and you're never going to be free from addiction and all this stuff just kind of washing over me. And like, by the time he got back from that trip, I went from literally not being able to use use the word God in a sentence to the point where my, my wife, I think it was like the the week before he got back, at some point in that week, my wife was like, you need to shut up about the gospel because it is driving me mad because that is all you talk about day and night anymore. <laughs> she was so wait just from watching the pvc stuff from watching the pvc or i think it was the week after he got back because we had a couple more conversations but like within that month month and a half period yeah. like it hit me hard what what was it that hit you i think it was finally understanding romans 6 that i was dead to sin because i had always positioned myself in this way that like it was going to at my very nature i was predisposed to this like lust I had in my heart and like God would work a change in me, but it was always going to be a process. And like I could jump off the bandwagon and then like maybe run a little bit to jump back on. But like that was kind of it. I kind of had to just keep waiting. Like eventually one day I'd get to heaven and like, it'd be, I'd be remade and reborn and it'd be good. Right. Right. But like, until then I just have to like, be patiently waiting for God to like continually gradually change me. And as long as I'm kind of in the room where he can work on me, I'm good. But like, if I jump out of the seat, like it's gonna, I guess you could say it's like getting a haircut. It's like, you can get to that look you want if you let the barber work on your hair long enough, but like you jump out of the chair and like just chill in the corner, he's not going to keep cutting your hair. Like Mm. he's going to wait for you to jump back in. So I was just like, yeah, I've been, I've been sitting in the corner for, what I thought a long time until that last year. And then every once in a while I'd plop down in the seat for a couple of minutes and then jump back out. So like I thought I had to put my time in, like I had to keep sitting, I had to keep waiting. And like, if I waited long enough, eventually I'd get to that point. But really it was just like, no, you're there. Like he did this. It's finished. It's been accomplished. Mm -hmm. Stop telling yourself that like you need to earn this because built up in all of this was also the, the lie that I had never earned 
the love and the gifts that my parents were giving me in the natural. Because hmm. my parents were so loving and so willing, especially my dad, with and patient with me, with just spending their money like water, just buying frivolous things. Because among all my addictions, I also had an addiction to spending, like just tons of stuff. Like, and it went from spending on personal, like just running up Amazon carts and everything else, and just buying tons of random stuff to like keeping my business afloat because my business was failing and I got to start putting that on the personal credit card because like that's who I am and people can't know it's failing. Mm. And like if they know it's failing, I'll be found out as a fraud. And the one thing other than now being a parent and, you know, being a husband, the one thing that like really identifies how I've accomplished and what I've done in the world Mm -hmm. would fall apart. Mercy. Because people would see it. So I've got to keep this, this persona up. So I was spending money like water and all this stuff. So, I had always seen that had been operating under this idea that I had never earned what they had given me and I had wasted all the benefit of the doubt they had given me time after time after time after time. Because on the outside, I was this... It's why I relate too much... Oh, in the PVC videos, one of the things I related to was the prodigal son. Mm -hmm. Because I saw that I was simultaneously the older brother and the younger brother. Hmm. I was the older brother in the perception I let everyone else see me as, as like being the good kid, as the kid that like always followed the rules, being the kid that was like nice, that was whatever, and like that perception. However, on the inside, on my private life, Mm -hmm. I was out there going nuts. Mm -hmm. I was just spending money like water. I was like feeding into my addiction. I was just, you know, simultaneously be like, oh, how you doing? Like, you know, nice to meet you, whatever. But like inside being annoyed at them or like disliking someone or just having like, it was all in my head, having thoughts of people positioning them, like thinking the worst of them, right? But I couldn't ever let them know that's what I thought because they had to like me. (laughs) (laughs) So like, it was just this mess. Sounds like some deception. Yeah, this double-minded deception, right? So that's what hit me. It was just like, I'm free of this. I've been given it all already. Do you know, like, like while you're watching the video, like, did you, be- like, the first sermon or the mm-hmm. first message is freedom from sin in Romans 6? Yeah. Right after you heard it because you'd been talking with Eddie, did it click immediately? It, it, I think the one that really hit is right at the second Jonathan in the PVC series, he breaks out the uh, illustration of, uh, um, Israelites, and then going through, coming out of Egypt through the desert, the the, the manna, the flame, the water, yeah. and like the second he does the illustration of the blood of the lamb, I think that hit me. I'm like, I have it now. Yeah, when like, were they it. free? Yeah, when were they free? I'm like, I got it now. Like, stop acting like it's coming. I've got it now, and that that is what just like wrecked me. But it was like all culminated at once. It, yeah, it, it's the weirdest thing. It's like it was gradual over that month, but then like there was just one moment where like it, it was I was I was on a delay. It was like all this stuff, like all these waves had just been like building and building and building and building, mm-hmm. like in in that, and they were kind of like brushing up against me, and then eventually one just like, okay, I get it all now. So so when he says when were they free, and you have this realization that he had done this thing, mm-hmm. what did then you believe about what God thought about you? And who you were. That he had never stopped, and that at any moment in my life where I was in the deepest, darkest thoughts about other people, about myself, when I was just basically, you know, in the other country, just wasting everything my father had given me, 
and it just it hit hard because I was like, I literally have been doing that for years. He never stopped seeing me as son. And like it also hit me too that like such a physical representation because knowing my dad and like his love for me and my siblings and like he never positioned me in anything but his as anything but his son. Hmm. He never did. So the second I saw that, I was like, oh, duh, God. Like, my dad has been showing me this, like, and and it hit me too, because, like, my dad, not a Christian. Hmm. But, like, he got it. He never, he never saw me as anything less than his son, and he never, he never, like, every single time one of these things could have come along, mm-hmm. and, like, he could have been like, nope, you're done. Like, I'm mm. cutting you off. Like, this, this is ridiculous. He never did. Even to the end, even after finding freedom, having having some uh, money problems with the business, he was still like, yeah. You know, and he didn't know where I was at. I knew where I was at. But like, still, still, time and time again, just giving me the benefit of the doubt. And the second I saw that, I'm just like, how could I not just give my life to someone that was so easily willing to, sh- like, give, just with no strings? What did you believe about yourself and and lust? Had that gotten grounded yet? Yeah, I was the same thing. I was just like, this thing is not what I'm made for. This is not some biological component of me that like is just always gonna be there and always gonna be looming in the corner, ready to like come out. This is a thing that I've been freed from, and literally at that point, I started looking at it's like. Okay, so literally it just comes down to I'm going to start speaking truth that like I'm not I'm not a slave to this anymore. I'm free from it. And like I'm going to stop. So one thing I related to a lot was the idea of the difference between us and freedom and like understanding who we are in our identity and who we used to be is like Adam and Eve in the garden and it's the difference between what happens when we sin. Because what happens when we sin- sinned before was we would go run and hide and cover ourselves with leaves. Right. And we would stay there. Right. Now, instead of covering myself up, immediately, this is not who I am. This is not truth. I confess this. I confess the evilness of what I'm seeing, the reason why, and like confess like the reasons why this is evil and why it's so twisted. And I thank you for your love and forgiveness. And I thank you that I get the opportunity to walk in this thing now. And I no longer have to hide behind the bushes until a period where I feel okay enough with myself that I can come out and emerge and meekly ask for forgiveness and like go through the cycle again. I don't have to, I never have to take a, take a step towards those things. I never have to look that way. Because beforehand it was like, oh, maybe I don't have to, you know, I don't have to separate myself, separate myself from God for a few days to like know right. that can, you know, I I feel guilty enough, but like I gotta at least pretend like I'm gonna go through that process before I come back because he's gotta know I'm sincere. Because I used to remember asking for forgiveness even when I was like, you know, teenager, like asking for forgiveness and being like, God, please forgive me. I know you're gracious and everything. I know I literally in my prayer I'd be like I. I know I don't feel like sincere enough and I know there's like, I'm missing something because I don't know if I'm really sincere enough. So please, like, please know I'm actually being sincere. You know, my heart, like I, I really mean this. Like, I know I said that before a million times, but I really mean it, you know, mm-hmm. and that would always be the cycle. So I just dumped that. I just immediately dumped it. Cause I'm just like, no, like that's not it. I'm not living like that anymore. Wow. 
Yeah. So did you believe you were new? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it was one of those things where like, I couldn't pinpoint the, the, the second I got that realization, I even was like, oh, I've been new before this. But like I like a week or that month or whenever, and it's like I couldn't pick the day, but like I knew it. If that makes sense, like it was something that had already happened. I was just it was like I had forgotten, and God was just like, "Hey, by the way, I already did this thing. Like you already not only have I already died for you, and you're free of this. Like you were reborn like yesterday. You just didn't notice. Like I've already done it. Like just reminding you. Like this is taken care of for you. So you'd gone from death to life. Yeah." Exactly. And yeah. I I think that as we as we do these podcasts and we're we're hearing the story, I think one of the main things that people understand that they've gone to death to life is that the shame is gone. Yeah. They're no longer that thing. You're not a addict. No. Not at all. <laughs> And in the the biggest lie was that I ever, you know, that like I was ever positioning myself in that place to begin with, that like that by saying that to begin with, I made myself okay. So by saying that very thing that I was an addict to start with, I immediately made myself okay with feeling like an addict hmm. from the very beginning, because I'm like I'm an addict, so this is what addicts feel like, so this is how I'm going to feel like forever. Like, this is my mode of operation now. I'm just going to feel in guilt forever. And, like, because that's what addicts do. And I'm an addict. So the second I put on that label, I'm putting on every all the junk that comes with that. So I just ripped that thing off and threw it away. I was just like, no. So what time of year is this when this happens? So this is August of 2020. Um, So... This is while um, uh, good old Eddie is out on his vacation. Um, so this is happening. And he comes back. And, of course, I'm like, thank you so much. This has changed my life. You knew it had changed your life immediately. Yeah, I was just like, I'm, uh, this is amazing. Like, I'm not going like, to be the same. And then I remember something like, oh, like he was almost not surprised by it. But he's like, oh, cool. And we have this phrase now where we'll, we'll say all the time, it's just another Tuesday. right and it's just like when you live from the abundance of your heart of what jesus has done for you and changed you you can't help but sharing in a way that's so genuine that other people can receive it and have their lives change and to you it's just the goodness of god you operate in on day in and day out now so like to him he was just sharing he didn't have any expectations of me picking it up when he got back Hmm. he didn't have any idea that the work the Holy Spirit was doing in me, it was just another Tuesday. But to me, it was everything. And that's not to say that we don't think this thing is incredible. No, but but it is the the point that we live with now is so life changing that like it it isn't. We don't have to like. There's a point in which you do get up every morning. You're like, it's amazing that like I'm here, that God is blessing me, that I get to walk in this. Like I'm happy to even be alive, to even be like speaking this and everything else. But it's also just this. It's the light. It's the mm-hmm. light on the hill, right? Mm-hmm. It shines whether you're paying attention to where the shadows are reflecting or where the light is reflecting off of or not. It's still hitting them. Wow. So like in that moment, it was his light was still the Holy Spirit through him was still hitting me, 
whether he knew it, the impact of it yet or not. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he gets back, and obviously, like, we just go through this period of incredible events happening with the company. So we we go into, um, and just like myself, the company had a... Um, had a death of like and was reborn and where like I literally was just like this is no longer mine like this is God's company and literally the customers are the people we interact with and if we never sell another item we never make another dime it does not matter because as long as we're in people's lives and we're sharing the gospel that's the point Hmm. right it's not the the point of this company is no longer to make money (laughs) Hmm. not like we were making a lot of money hand over fist anyway But, (laughs) but it's no longer the point um, so then through that, like we had a low period where we still, still looking for, um, uh, like where the direction of the company was we reinvented ourselves twice over completely tore down all of our processes, our marketing, the products we were selling, how we positioned ourselves. Um, and this whole time, like we're just doing everything internal because the customers aren't coming. Mm-hmm. But in that time, our perseverance was being built mm-hmm. with our faith and we're just learning, like I'm learning, and Eddie's practicing, being still and knowing that he's God. So, like, we'd come in in the morning, and there we'd expect there'd be calls, but if there was no calls, we'd just, like, pull out our Bibles and just study and praise and, like, just read and just know that we're going to be okay on the other side of this. Like, if it's the business, if if it's not, if it's something completely different, and, like, even if Eddie and I had to part ways and, like, he had to go somewhere else and I had to go my own way, we're good. We're solid, Right. Um, so that's happening and we're just, we're just being still and knowing that God's working in our lives. And then like little things start happening on the way. So like one day we're praying about like, Hey, we are trying to figure out our marketing. Like we can't get it. And then a couple hours later, Eddie gets a call from one of his friends. Um, and this woman calls him up and he's like, Hey, I was praying this morning and God hit me with you guys need your marketing redone. Hmm. So send me everything you've got and let me look at it. Hmm. Right. And nothing ever specifically came about that, but that was just literally him being like, hey, just a reminder, guys, I got you. Hmm. Like, don't stress about this. Wow. Right? Or then, like, um, we had another moment where uh, it was October, and, like, it's really starting to look like I'm toying with ideas, like, does the company need to be sold? Like, do we need... Because I'm, I'm okay with, like, separating from it. My, my identity is not in it anymore. My ego is separated from it. Like, I don't need it anymore to be f- filled. So I'm like, if it goes, it's fine. Like, you've got other plans for us. That's cool. Um, and we're praying about it and really trying to settle, like, do we do we keep fighting for this or do we let it go? Like, what's going on? Because at this point, I'm free enough. I'm treating Eddie like a co-owner. Like, he knows everything. Every every bit. And in fact, he's... he's Was he surprised when you were like, yo, we, we might be in a bit of trouble? Yeah, so he, he likes to say that the moment he knew I was free was when I, um, when I gave him the... Uh, uh, all the passwords and everything to our accounting software and showed him how much in debt we were and like everything. Uh-huh. Cause I just was like, here's everything. Like just what do you think? Um, and that was like September, I think um, or October. Uh, so yeah, he, he was surprised. I think it hit him, uh, hit him surprised, but also we weren't worried. We were just anxious in our uncertainty. Cause we we're like, we know God has a plan. What's the plan? Is it with the businesses without, what are we doing here? Right. So that's October. We're praying one day and being still, practicing his uh, his presence in our lives, and and then uh, we pray. We go home. Uh, we come back the next morning. I get a call from uh, a company in Lincoln who basically calls us up and they're like, "Hey, we've done um, 
similar things in your guys' industry uh, for the last year, but because of COVID and some other complications, like this, we kind of don't want to be in it anymore. So is it cool if we give you our all of our active customers right now? And can we also um, like, you know, eventually give you all our inventory because we're not using it anymore. Hey, and we've got a year of leads we haven't followed up on. Do you guys want those? Oh, hey, you know, uh, do you, is it cool if we put you on our website and then like, you know, link you? <laughs> hey, we're going to send out an email blast too to like all of our existing customers to like hook, look you guys up and like use you. Oh, yeah, and maybe in the future we can do some other amazingly cool things. Oh, and by the way, we don't believe in contracts. So, like, that's not our MO. So, like, right now we're not going to sign anything. Huh. No, like, we just want our customers taken care of. You guys are local. And, like, we really like you. Wow. That's it. So, we walk away from that moment just like, yeah. That's crazy, man. We're good. It's crazy, and it's just another Tuesday, right? Just another Tuesday. Because, like, beforehand, um, we had we'd prayed about it before, and I, uh, um, I very clearly was, like, told that, like, hey, you know, just secret place time. It was just like, hey, I've got plans for this company. Like, this isn't, this isn't your thing to take. So. So, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. I think there's going to be more, uh more podcasts that come from your story. Yeah. Uh, and I don't want to step on any of those because I just feel like there's more life to come. Yeah. From different people that, but my main like takeaway and maybe as we wrap this up, like what did this whole thing do to change? Like, what were you like and talk to me about what you are like now um i was two-faced um i was the type of person that would always try to please everyone and always wanted to make everyone happy um but wouldn't think well of them in my mind i was a person that was addicted to lust to the point where like it runned it ran my life it controlled who i was as a husband it controlled who i was when i was you know dating it controlled just every aspect of my life it controlled my self-worth i controlled how i saw women just in general just interacted with them period and i was someone that completely wasted every gift i was given without a second thought um Basically, yeah, all while masquerading around like I was the older son and I had it all put together and not letting anyone see kind of what was going on on the inside. And now I'm someone that knows how much I'm loved and knows that I have have and always will be a son first and that God is love. And love is God. God is love. There's no separating the two. So, of course, being his son, he's always given me everything with no strings attached. And all he's ever wanted was conversation. Like, that's it. Like, all he's ever wanted is just to be with him, just to talk, just to be the family that he's always expected me to be and just 
be he just wants to in love his you, life. Right? Yeah. That's it. He just wanted me in his life. And yeah. like he was willing to wait until the end of time for me to wake up to it because he loves me and he doesn't, you know, he loves me enough to like let me choose. And that has changed everything to the point where like now I, I so much appreciate like my heavenly father and then like my father, my parents, how, how, how they treated me um, growing up and even till, you know, recently and onward just for the love that they had and the patience and everything else and how good my father is that he gets to, that I get to even wake up every single morning and just be like, thank you that I'm alive. Like this, anymore, the second I get up in the morning is the greatest, the first breath I take, the first thought I have is the greatest gift I've ever been given and nothing will ever come close. The fact that I just get to walk in it and that's it. So much that you're just out here Kicking it in Portland and <laughs> yeah. pouring life into people, telling them about how much they're loved. Yeah. And yeah, man, every single time we think that the gospel can't reach a sort of person, like maybe somebody believes that they can't be reached by it or someone they know can't be reached by it. Like you're just another example of God just loving his kids. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, we all like to think we have different problems. We have different kind of insurmountable addictions or beliefs about ourselves or just like, you know, skeletons in the closet. But the answer is always the same. The answer is always love. So when we come out on the other side, we're perfectly loved and we get to the same point of just being grateful to be here because we know how much has been given. Like, it doesn't matter where you started, you end up in the same place. And let me tell you, like, the gift of knowing, kind of going back to the beginning of, like, this idea of eventually in heaven, like, I would I would have peace, I would have, you know, closure. The gift of knowing that heaven, the kingdom of heaven is here, mm-hmm. and we're living it. It doesn't get better than that. Our privilege is to get to like live this thing out now every moment of the day. And like that cannot be beaten. You want you want miracle from heaven? You don't need to look further than your own experience of like him changing us and then giving us that. That's it. Like Yeah. You don't sound like you're afraid for the future of your company or <laughs> No, not at all. Like it, even like this week, we can't. So we're out here for ten days here in um in uh, McMinnville by Portland, and like uh, Eddie and I were having a conversation when we came out. We're just like, yeah, you know, we're gonna be away for a week, and beforehand I would have been a wreck because I would have been like all these customers maybe that wouldn't call and everything else. And now I'm just like, well, God literally turned on the faucet to give us the customers. All he's got to do is turn it off for a week, and then he can just turn it on when we get back. Because like. Eddie goes on trips. I go on trips. The ebb and flow of work, like we'll we'll won't have too many customers, so we're good. Then it'll pick back up when we're both there. Then it'll drop down like clockwork every time. We work for Love Reality for the digital stuff for a month, um, just working on it. And then this, like the day we got finished with all the important stuff, we got tons of calls from customers. But the day after, I should say, the day after, but not until, because God's like, let me shelve this for you guys real quick. You need to work on this. Because I want to work on you. Dad gum, bro. 
yeah, it's it's an amazing. There's no stress. There's no anxiety. There's no whatever. And like, I don't know who's going to be hearing this, and either works in a small company or owns a small company. And mind you, I'm a kid that's uh, uh, under thirty that has a company that's been around for three years. But let me tell you this: there's nothing like the freedom of living and walking with a relationship with God and owning a company compared to what it used to be. The anxiety, the depression, the pressure, the home, the effect it has in your home life, on parenting, on your spouse, on family, and the mountain of weight you put on yourself to perform, either for yourself, if it's just you, or for your employees and families, feeling that be lifted and knowing that God has you and putting it in his hands is it, it's indescribable. It's amazing. I mean, it it is hand in hand why I needed to die and then the company needed to die. Man, I'm just thinking about this thing. Someone might be listening to this podcast and how we started it was just like me talking about you being a rich kid. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, there may be a temptation to be like, yeah, Addison's talking about his business and how da 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 da. And why was he even stressed out in the first place? Because I I know his daddy, and I know <laughs> like that he would have always been okay. So why mm-hmm. was he even stressed out? And and to those people, I say, you're in the same position that Addison is in. Yeah, your daddy owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Your father loves you. He's already done it. He's already, like, your dad doesn't owe you anything because he's already given you everything. In the same way, like, that was the position you were in with your real dad Oh yeah, and your mm-hmm. father in heaven. And by being real dad, I mean, like, your earthly. dad here on yep. your earthly father yeah. and your father in heaven. You were in a simultaneous, mm-hmm. and now you can receive from your earthly father from your heavenly father. Yeah. And 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 this is the other part of it too is whether it's my dad here, my dad in heaven. Either way, I know the truth of what they've done and they've given me. So either of them, I materially or blessings whatever you want to say, neither of them could ma- have give me anything that manifests on this on this earth again. And that now will not change the truth of what they've done and who they are and how much they love me. Hmm. Like my dad couldn't, he could, he could say that like there's nothing left and he can't give me a single cent for the rest of my life and I will love him forever. And it never will change. That's not, that's not conditional. That's not, I need, I need nothing from him, but I get to receive from him because of his love. And that's the exact same with my heavenly father. And, yeah, it's just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's good to be loved, it's good. bro. It's good. It's good I, to be loved, man. Yeah. Well, thanks for, uh, man, thanks for telling your story, man. Yeah. <laughs> so many people are, man, if you, wanna, if you want this thing, man, if you want this thing, if you're listening, you're just like, oh, I want it. You have it. You're the righteousness of God in Christ. He sees you as holy, blameless, above reproach. If, in fact, you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if you have faith in that. So, thanks for coming on, bro. 
Thank you for yeah, having me. Yes, sir. I'm looking forward to hear <laughs> the next few podcasts of the people that have been just like, you know, the podcasts in the future, the, the people that have been just wrecked because of your testimony. Thank you. Yep. Yeah. Appreciate you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Stay alive, hey. Mm-hmm.